Well, happy Easter. Good to see you. Welcome to Life Fellowship. Turning your Bibles to Luke 24. We're going to be in Luke 24 this morning, remembering the story of the resurrection. Such a great passage of scripture. My boys just left. They were here for the first service. My two boys are in college. They're in Ohio and they uh, came down for the weekend and we got a chance to spend some time with them. And uh, they're driving back right now. So say a word of prayer for them, for my two boys. But one of the things that they were doing with their home, my son was telling us about, uh, hey, there's a, you know, there's, there's a girl I might ask out on a date. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And so he's talking to us about that. And so we, um, we, uh, we were talking about, you know, Liz and my first date. And I said, you know, what did you do on your first date, Dad? And so Liz and I got a chance to tell her about or tell him about our first date. And I said it was December of 1994. And they're like, whoa, ancient history. You know, any date that has a 19 in front of some people are like, this is, this is pretty old. I said, yeah, that was our first date. And, and I, could, I could tell every single detail. I could describe, you know, what we did and, and when we did it. And, and it was just, I could remember who we, who we went. And it was just one of those things I could remember. Why? Because it was a significant event for us. It was a significant event for Liz and I. And even though it took me a whole other year to convince her to date me, we went on that initial date in December of 1994, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a phenomenal experience. But when I think about those moments, I mean, if I was to share with you that moment, you'd be like, oh, it's, it's interesting, but it's not important. It's not important to you. It's important to me. But there are other moments, there are other events in human history that have transpired that feel like, man, these are important events. Like I think about being in the room when, when Edison's going through all of his his experiments with electricity and, and, and that first light bulb that didn't explode, right? Like imagine being in that room and saying what you saw, you probably had no understanding about the implications of that kind of discovery would lead to some of the very things that we're experiencing in this room this morning. You know, I, I think about the American Revolution and, and uh, I, I, was, I was watching a documentary one time about the American Revolution, how it really changed the geopolitical trajectory of so many nations and, and peoples across this planet. The idea that people could govern themselves, that we did not need a, 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 a monarchy over us. And, and there was this quote from this British officer as, in, as he's walking through the lines at Yorktown he says, and we are passing by this army. We felt like we were looking at a new race of men. And you think about being there in that moment. And I think when, when we think about some of these historical things, we can, we can think, now that was, that was significant. These were watershed moments. But, but let me just say, nothing compares. Nothing compares to the human event of Jesus Christ's resurrection. It was the it is the quintessent uh, human experience, human historical moment that changed history forever. And not just for one group of people, not just for a family, not just for a few individuals, for everyone, that the opportunity that God gives now all mankind to find salvation in the name of Jesus is presented to us today because of what transpired 2,000 years ago. And so we're going to talk about history today. We're going to talk about witnessing history. And if I, as, as Bob read the passage this morning, look at verse 48. Uh, Luke says that when Jesus describing what he says to his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Witness is someone who sees things, 
who notices things, who's able to articulate, I saw and experienced something. Witness is one of these key words that Luke loves to use in, in, the, in the gospel accounts that, that he wrote. And so he's describing this idea of being a witness. And I just thought, man, that is, that is what I want to invite us into today. When Luke writes this, this, this narrative of the resurrection, he writes it in the historical indicative. And what I mean by that is, is there's a way of writing uh, text back then was to put historical events in the present tense vernacular. And the whole idea to do that was to invite people into the room to say, I want you to hear Jesus' words saying these things as if you were there. And so when we read these things, I want us to just, I want, I, I believe this, that what God wants you to do today is he wants you to witness history. He wants you to notice something that happened that was revolutionary, that was life-changing, not just for these people, but has been life-changing for every person, every tribe, every tongue, for the history, since this moment, the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. And I want us to witness that today. I want us just not to walk by, glance by the, the, the details of the story. I want us to really take our time and to look and see what has transpired here. I want you to see it. I want you to witness it. You know, one of my frustrations in life uh, is, is when I'm driving in my car and all of a sudden traffic stops. And you pull out your phone and you see that dreaded red line. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, uh, my, my mind always goes to, okay, how can I get around that red line? And I don't care if it will take me 10 minutes longer. Sometimes I'll detour just so I don't have to sit there for, you know, to, in that red I just don't like it. And um, there's nothing more frustrating, especially when you're on the highway. You're driving down this road in red line and you sit there, you know, maybe be 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is. And you drive by the spot when all of a sudden it's, it's blue again. And you look up, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's, there's no impediment. There's no issues on your side of the road. It's over there that something's wrong. Like someone broke down over there. And people are like, they're driving like, oh, and what happens when people turn and get like, oh, they're, they're changing their tire over there. That's so fascinating. I've never seen a tire change like that before. And I just, when I see it's a rubbernecking situation, I, on principle, do not look. I mean, I will drive me like, I know there's something over there. I mean, there could be helicopters, ambulances. I mean, there's all kinds of like, it could be really bad. I'm like, I'm not looking because I believe I'm going to show you that you can drive past something and not look at it, right? That's what we do when we see something out of the ordinary. I don't want you to drive by this. I don't want you to drive by this story this morning, even if you've heard it, even if you understand and the details or the facts of it, you're kind of like, yeah, I get it. Jesus rose from the dead. I want you to witness. Luke is inviting us to witness history this morning. So what I want to do is I want to read this passage. We're going to start in verse 36. We're going to bump up a little bit what we heard this morning. And, and one of the things about this passage I want to just share with you, we're going to be walking into a moment here. What has transpired is that Jesus has been crucified, killed, buried. And then on the third day, ladies, the, the women of Jesus' entourage are coming to put spices in and to do some of the, some burial uh, things that they would do back in those days, the customs of those days. And when the women arrive, the stone is rolled back and there's angels sitting there and they tell them, Jesus isn't here anymore. 
And they're in shock and awe. And they run back to the disciples who are in the upper room. They're hiding out. They're scared because they just killed their master. And they're sure that they're coming after them next. So they're, they're hiding away. And so they come and say, Jesus is not there. We saw angels. And they said he rose from the, from the dead. And Peter and John run there. And they look and they see that he is not there. He's gone. The linen that was over him is folded. And it's sitting there. And there's, they're mystified. They're trying to figure out what is going on. And so they go back, and then, and then there's two guys, two of his other disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus in the, in the previous passage, and Jesus just kind of saddles up next to them and just starts asking questions. What's going on? And, and they start telling Jesus about all these things, and they ask him to just sit with them and, and break bread with them. And the moment that Jesus breaks the bread and prays for this meal, he says their eyes were opened, and they realized it was Jesus, and then he disappeared. And so these two guys run back to the disciples and they're saying, you would never believe what we just experienced. Now let's pick it up in verse 36. This is what we're going to pick it up from this moment. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, your, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands. And my feet, that is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Here's the first point. The first point I want you to witness is I want you to witness real history this morning. I want you to witness real history. You know, one of the things that we know as we, as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians today, what distinguishes Christians from other religions that we believe that Jesus is, is the savior of the world. We believe that he rose from the dead. One of the things that most, most scholars, most historians, even most people would acknowledge even if they don't believe in the Bible, even if they don't believe that there's a God, they would believe that there was a man who lived 2,000 years ago around the uh, you know, Judea area, and he was a prophet, and he was a teacher, and they would even believe that he died on a cross. That the facts and the events of Jesus' life, that he was some teacher, possibly even a miracle worker, are agreed upon by people who do not believe in God and do not hold to the faith that you and I hold to today. But what they don't believe in and what separates us from, un, from believing that Jesus was just a man who lived 2,000 years ago is that we believe he rose from the dead. Amen? That's what we believe. We believe this is real history here, that he's marking down real history. And the reason why we know that this is real history is because if you were trying to make this story up, you would not have written it like this. This is not a myth. The people who wrote this down 30, 40, 50 years after these events knew that like, if you're trying to convince people to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you would not include the details of the story that's in, that we read about. They would have never said the women were the first people to, to see, see the angels and hear about the risen Christ and see the risen Christ. They would have never said, because women's, women's testimonies in that day were not even allowed in the court systems. So why would you say a woman was the first person that saw the risen Christ? And not only that, the people who are, the guys who were the biggest Jesus fans of that day, what are they doing? They're scared. They're frightened. 
They did not, look at, the, look at the, uh, the, the words that are used to describe their emotions, their feelings. It says they were startled and frightened. They were troubled and had doubt in their hearts, disbelieving for joy and marveling. What is this telling us? They didn't expect this to happen. Again, Jesus, if you go back into the Gospels, Jesus told them, listen, I'm going to be killed and crucified and rise again on the third day. And yet, they're his own disciples. In fact, if you read the accounts in Matthew, Matthew talks about the Jewish authority saying, he said he was rising from the dead, put extra guards there, seal the tomb, make sure that they don't steal his body. They even expected something like this to happen. But for the disciples to be like, whoa, like what is going on here? And the fact that they didn't even believe that he was real at first, they thought he was a ghost. He's like, no, no, listen, it's me. If you are going to make up a story about Jesus' resurrection, the followers would have, if this was a myth, you would have put the followers of Jesus saying, we knew it. We knew this all along. But these details that are in here, the doubts that they have in their heart, the fact that he eats broiled fish. Again, I want to go back to, to the details of my first date. I knew exactly I made my wife this Mexican dip to eat. There's, what you do is you put a layer of cream cheese, Hormel chili, no beans, and then, and then some, sprinkle some, some uh, queso or, or some kind of cheese on it. Pop that thing in the oven. That's a good Mexican dip, all right? That's the only thing I knew how to make when I was 18 years old. And I made it for my date. I, I, I remember the movie we saw. I remember the things. Why do I remember the details? Because something significant happened. And the reason why they were like, you would not believe. He asked us to eat some. We had a, some, some broiled fish there. Broiled fish. Why would they remember that detail? Because it happened. If this is a myth, you don't make up these kinds of details. But the people are recollecting to Luke are saying, we were there and I remember exactly what happened. He asked us for something to eat, a piece of broiled fish. And so you had, and, and, and the other reason why I think this is so significant, and the reason why I think it's writing this down, the story that the way it is, is that these guys struggled with fear and doubt. And that's significant because when it comes to believing that Jesus rose from the dead, some of the greatest barriers that you and I face in trusting in that is fear and doubt. Fear and doubt is part of the human condition. And the reason why they had so much fear and the reason why I had so much doubt is because they, in their own life, were experiencing something that God had let down their expectations. You see, for a, for a first century Jew, and what they expected of the Messiah would be, there would be the Messiah that would come from God, and he would be a military leader. He would be a political leader and a spiritual leader, and he would restore Israel. He would throw off the shackles of Rome, and he would be the next King David to rule and reign Israel and conquer the world. See, they had expectations, and when he's on that cross being crucified, they are starting to wonder, my expectation and my understanding of what God's doing is not happening. So, so what's going on? You see, you and I face that same issue. Maybe you're sitting here in this morning, and I, I don't assume that everyone in this room is just here because you're like, man, I love Jesus so much. And you might be here because someone invited you. You might be here because you are curious. And the reality is, 
just like the disciples, the guys who walked with Jesus for three years had fear and doubt, you have some fears in you as well. You have some doubts as well because of the things that you have walked through, your expectations of who God is or what he should have done in your life has let you down. And so what you're struggling with now is, do I really trust that this really happened? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, he deserves our worship. He deserves our attention. He deserves everything from us. But if he didn't, then we can reject him and ignore him. But if Jesus truly rose from the dead and conquered sin and death for us, that is something that invites us to draw closer to him. And what I love about Jesus is that he knows that they're afraid and he knows that they're doubting and he doesn't leave them there. In fact, he goes in and look what he says. See my hands and my feet. That is, I myself, touch me and see. He's, Jesus meets them in their doubts and their fears. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to be over here in, in, in this city. Come see me if you really believe in me. No, he goes to them and says, you're in your upper room. You're scared to death. You're scared to leave, but I'm here now. And you don't believe it's me? Touch me. Touch me. See, it's me. See the, the, the holes in my hand, this, my side. I invite you to touch me with your hands so that you no longer have to struggle with doubt. I am real. You know, when I was a kid, I was not fond of water. I, had, I have three siblings, um, my, my older brother and my younger sister, who were kind of all bunched together. Um, they, they were great at, at swimming, and, and, you know, we had this community pool growing up, and uh, in our little town of Sterling, Virginia. And there was this, this was back in the day when they had high dives. You guys remember the high dives? I mean, that, they, I, I'm sure lawyers have taken away all high dives away from North America at this point. But th- there's, I mean, there was all kinds of fun things you could do here at, this, at the community pool. But I was so scared of water. I didn't know how to swim. And uh, I think I've shared that with you before. And, and so what I would do is I would just, as the kids were playing, you know, Sometimes I'd put those orange floaties on my arm, and that was good. But, but if, I'd never, if I never, if my mom forgot those or something, like I was just sitting on the edge of the pool. I was not getting in the water. To this day, I'm still not a great swimmer. And uh, if my feet do not touch the bottom, I don't get in. All right. Thank God I'm six foot three, so I can get in most pools. I can go semi deep into the, the ocean. But I, I, I don't mess around with water. I'm, when I see these people like swimming in the ocean for two miles, I'm like, it's never, ever, ever going to be. Like, I will never do a triathlon ever in my entire life. Like, I just know there's certain things I'm never going to do. But, but, but you have this, I was scared and I didn't want to go in the water. And, and my, my mom would always take us. But my dad on occasions would go with us when he wasn't working. I remember my dad would always want me to jump to him. And my dad would always, you know, he wanted me to, he was trying to build my courage and build my strength. And usually he would stand about, you know, three feet away from the edge. He was like, jump to me. I'm like, no way. I'm not jumping to you. And I remember my dad, he would take some steps closer. He'd take a couple steps closer and, and, and he would get almost right next to me. And he'd get to the, ed- almost to the edge of the pool and say, jump. I'll catch you. And, and he, never, he never grabbed a hold of me and pulled me in but he left me that opportunity. I was so close. I just had to jump, this tiny little jump. And I knew he would hold me. And he didn't, he didn't take, when he, you know, I jumped to him in the pool, he didn't like, ah, you know, he didn't do that to me. He was my dad. 
who loved me. And when I would jump to him, he would hold me. And I knew as long as I was in his arms, I was not going to fall. And you know, you might be here this morning and God is at the edge of the pool. He's saying, I'm here. You just have to take a step of faith. I know, yes, I know you're scared. I know you have doubts. I know you have questions, but I'm right here and I'm willing for you to test me. I want you to touch me. I want you to get close to me. And I can't get, Jesus, Jesus offered them his body to touch. He goes up right next to them, but he was never going to take their hands and touch his hand. They're left that last step of faith to say, I may not understand it all, but I'm going to take this leap. What is that leap that God wants you to take this morning? What are the questions? What are the doubts? What are the fears that you have? I'm telling you right now, no matter what they are, God wants you to take the step towards him. You know, you might, you, might, you might have so many questions and doubts and fears. And what I would encourage you today is, if you want to talk to someone, we have people in this church that would love to sit down with you, to sit down with you on a regular basis, to learn about the word of God, to understand your doubts and your fears. But don't ignore them. Walk with them towards God, and he will answer all of your doubts, all of your fears. That leads us to number two. Not only do we witness real history, but we witness the purpose of history. We witness the purpose of history. Look what he says after, after this moment of him proving his, his humanity, his resurrection, his bodily resurrection. He says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he's telling them, listen, remember all those stories that you've heard. All, the, the Old Testament, now listen, they only had the Old Testament. That was the word that they had. It was broken up into three sections, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he said this, all of these stories are about me. And then look at the next verse, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He took the time, Jesus took, takes the time, and, he's, and he breaks it down for them and says, listen, all the things, this, there are not just stories in the Bible. That are collect, it's not just about Adam and Eve and, and then Noah and then Joseph and then Moses and then, and then Joshua and then David. Like He was saying these, there's, not just a, there's not just stories in the Bible. It is one big story, and it's about me, I, I think about what it would have been like to be in that room that, that evening to hear Jesus teach his disciples that lesson. Their minds were open to understand Jesus. And as I think about what it would have possibly sounded like, I think, I think it would have sounded something like this, that you know, he would have said, listen, remember Adam and Eve after the fall, after they rebelled against God and they were in the garden and, and, and God comes to them and he, he pronounces the curse and he says, listen, after, after this, there's going to be one born, the seed of a woman that will crush the head of the serpent. And because of that, that that's the promise that, that what the serpent has done today, bringing sin and bringing death into the world, that the seed of the woman will crush the work of, this, of Satan. That's me I'm the one, I'm the seed of the woman. I've crushed the head of Satan on the cross. I've overcome sin and death. I've done that. 
I, I, I am the sacrifice. Remember Abraham when he took Isaac on the mountain on the third day to sacrifice him. I am the ram that was substituted for his behalf. And I'm also the son that was willing to take the, 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 the death for another person. I am that person. I am the one. I'm the Passover lamb that when, they, when the Israelites were called to, to slaughter this lamb to put on the doorposts of their house so that the angel of death would pass on. That's me. My blood now covers you and protects you from death. I am the atoning sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 16 and the story how every single year the atoning sacrifice, the Passover lamb, we just celebrate it. That's me. It's, it's bigger than just one lamb every year for the sins of the, of the people for one nation. I am the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just like in Numbers, when, when the people were rebelling and complaining and Moses had to make a bronze serpent to people look at to be saved, I am the one who's been lifted up on the cross so that people look at me in their sin and the rebellion, they will be saved. I am the great prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that Moses prophesies about to come and to declare to you the true words of God. I am the true commander of the armies of God that I conquered, not just some enemies in Canaan. I've conquered spiritual enemies over all humanity. I'm the one, remember in Judges, in the cycle of sin in Israel, how they kept rebelling and falling away from God. And God would give them over, but he would raise up to deliver. I am now the ultimate deliverer. When you, anyone's sin and rebellion in the cycle that they're in, I can now deliver that from them. I am the one, the king that the people were looking for back in, in the letter of Samuel. I am the king that they're looking for. I am the king that was promised the, from the line of David to sit on the throne of David forever. I am that king. Remember in Psalm 2 when it says, kiss the son, worship the son. The Psalms 110 about Yahweh saying to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. That's about me. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, the, the branch from the root of David or from Jesse, that's me. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant of, of God who will take on the sins of the world, that's me. Jeremiah 31, the new covenant that's going to be established that all humanity may be saved. I have accomplished that. Uh, the, Hosea chapter 6, on the third day that God will raise up the nation of Israel, that's fulfilled in me. In Jonah chapter, in Jonah, in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, I accomplished and I overcame sin and death. The whole story's about me. That's what he said. He opened their minds. He opened their minds to say, the story's about me. The story's about me. And so from ages past to that moment of, of, of crucifixion and resurrection to 2,000 years later, the story is still about him. The problem is you and I want to make the story about me. We want to make it all about us, about what I like. And the purpose of the world, the purpose that Jesus is displaying is that God created humanity. Humanity has fallen away and has rejected God. We've gone our own way. And yet God loved us enough to send us a savior, a deliverer. You know why? Because he knows this, that apart from him, we, we, we miss out. We're, we do not know him and we are separated from him. And so we have these soul longings, this God-shaped void in our life that we long for. And see, the lie that we believe today is that you, you can come up with your own purpose. That the purpose of your life can be determined by what you experience. 
And so what we do is we fill our lives with things that we think will give us purpose and meaning. And so we pursue you know, careers and we pursue pleasures and we pursue finances and we pursue love and we pursue all of these things that we think if I just keep adding this to my life, then it will equal some sense of peace and love and joy and hope. And yet, at the end of the day, we pursue all of these things that, in life to say that maybe, it's, maybe life is about this. And we still feel the guilt. And we still feel the shame. And we still feel the emptiness of life. And Jesus came to rescue you, to save you from that. He is the ultimate purpose in life. He's the only one that can fulfill your heart. He's the only one that can save you from your sins. He's the only one that can take your shame because he's, that's what he did on the cross. He's the only one that can rescue you from your fears, from the greatest fears of life and the greatest fears of death. He's the only one that brings purpose and meaning to life. And what, what I've learned is that in, in life, it's kind of like this. My son was doing, my son was doing some math work uh, from one of his classes over break, and he, he needed some help. And traditionally, I was good at math when I was at school, but it's been 25 plus years since I've done any math. So it's, it's been a while. And so when he invited me in to try to help him out, I'm like, uh, I think this is it. But, you know, and, and as you guys know this, at the, math, the way math goes is the older you get and the more it progresses, the longer the equations are. Right, it, you know, you go from two plus two, and then it, you know, get in the middle school. Then you add like you have like three different numbers you're trying to figure out, and then by the time you're in college or high school, it's like 14 steps to get the answer that you're looking for. And here's what you know: if you try to work this these problems out, and you know, you're trying to figure this out, a lot of times you have to. You're going back, and you might think, okay, I've got, I fi- I'm almost positive I got the first five steps right. I've got to figure out these next seven steps, and you keep going back to that same step, and you can't figure it out. And I think that's what we do in life. Because what we've tried to do is we've tried to figure out the equation, the equal the equals sign, what life is all about, is about us. And so we add all these little moments, these little things in our life to make it equal joy, to make it equal contentment, to make it equal love. And it always equals emptiness and shame and guilt and hopelessness. And what Jesus is saying to you today is you've got to erase the equation. Because all these little steps that you've taken are leading you away from me. And Jesus isn't even a part of the equation. He is the equation. He is the one from beginning to the end that all things, everything that we're looking for in life, everything that you are desiring in life, the soul's desire is found and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Don't look for it anywhere else. Don't try to find meaning in anything else. He is the one who brings true redemption and fulfillment. And what I want to encourage you today is to look at that equation that you have written for your own life. If you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I, I, I get the facts about Jesus, but I don't understand how he relates to me. What you got to do is walk away from the equation, walk away from the, from the steps that you have tried to figure out to equal joy, hope, love, forgiveness. And what you've got to do is you've got to turn from your own understanding of things and turn to Jesus alone, Christ alone. Everything is about him, and he is the one, is the purpose and the meaning of all human history. That leads us to point number three. So not only do we have to, we have to witness real history, the resurrection really happened. Do you see it? Not only do we witness the purpose of history, 
but we also witness to make history. We witness to make history. Look at verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What I love what Jesus does in this moment is he takes everything that he's explained to them. He lets them know, I'm real, I've resurrected, that fully God, fully man, I stand here before you. I've conquered sin and death, and I'm explaining to you all the history of mankind and the purpose of all humanity, and now you know it's all about me. But what are you going to do with that? What I want you to do is I want, now I'm calling you to be my witnesses, not just to Jews, not just to a small little group of people that, that already know me. I want you to go to all nations because I died not just for a certain people group or a certain color of skin. I died for all humanity. And so now I want you to go and to reach all humanity and be witnesses for me. And, and I, I love that word witness. Luke uses that word witness. I said it, he, it's one of his favorite words. It's used two times in the Gospel of Luke. But in his second book, in the book of Acts, he uses it 14 times. 14 times to describe people that have experienced and, re and seen and, and, and understood salvation through Jesus, that we are to be witnesses. I love that word because that word means, means something. It means that the power is really in God to invite people to receive him. He doesn't say, you are to be my lawyers. You are to be with those people that I go out there and defend me. You're to, be my, you're to be convincers. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you're to be my debaters. He doesn't say, he doesn't say you're, you, the, the power is within you to convince other people to accept me. He doesn't say that at all. He simply says, you are to be my witnesses. You have seen me. You have experienced the resurrected Jesus. Now go tell others. Listen, the power of the message of Jesus' resurrection is not in how convincing you can be. It's not it. You know, we just got done with this, uh, this initiative in our church, the BLESS initiative, how we've been um, asking people to, to uh, you know, begin with prayer, this acronym for BLESS, begin with prayer, listen, listen to people's stories, eat or experience something with them, and then serve them, and the last S, share Jesus with them. And I think what a lot of us feel really comfortable, I can do a lot of those letters, but that last one, like share Jesus, like what do I, what do, I do? What do I say? And I think sometimes we put all this pressure on us. Like I have to take all of the doubts and all the fears and all the things that people are out there and what they believe and all the obstacles of faith that they have. And I just, what am I supposed to say? Just tell them about Jesus. Just tell them about Jesus. The reality is when we have witnessed Jesus, we have a story to share. And Jesus wants the story that he has, has expressed, to, that we have experienced, and invite others to experience the same thing. This past week, last Sunday, I left here a little bit earlier than normal. And I had a funeral to go to, and so I went to a funeral of, of my, uh, a, a gentleman in our, in our church, our former church where I used to be a pastor at. And Jason was just one of those guys that um, 
you just knew him when he walked in the room. Uh, one of the most loving, kind people I've ever met, someone who, he was a real Christian, and I say that he was a real Christian not because he lived a perfect life. In fact, he had many issues of addiction in his life. Um, he, was a, he was a brilliant man, a very gifted man. In fact, there, if you ever come into my office, there's a, there's a work of art that he created for me that still hangs in my office to this day. He died at 50 years old, cardiac arrest in his sleep. And um, he had some ups and downs, man. We walked those ups and downs with Jason, our church, myself, our family. And so when I heard that he passed away, I just, I, I had to go. I had to see his family. And um, his funeral lasted three hours long, three hours long. They did open mic. And that's always a dangerous thing to do at funerals. Open mics are dangerous. But people just kept telling stories about, about Jason. And there's this couple guys that he used to work in the construction world. And Jason was one person, more than one person had this kind of story to share. I'm a rough guy. I had wanted nothing to do with God. I had some bad experiences at church. But then I met Jason. And Jason just loved me. And he invited me to come to church with him one Sunday. And so I walked into church one Sunday. And I just, I don't know how to describe it, but there's just something that happened to me. I started bawling and weeping at these songs. And Jason just puts his arm around me and says, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And they would tell stories of how Jason led them to Jesus. Jason didn't have, he didn't have the greatest life. He didn't have the most articulate words to use. He just knew if I can, if I can, if I, I'm a witness of the miracle of Jesus Christ. And if I can just share the reality of Jesus, the power is in the Spirit. The power is in the gospel to change people's lives. I just have to declare it. And so when, if you're leaving here this morning and you think that you've got, that the world needs debaters, that the world needs convincers, that the world needs lawyers of for Jesus, no, 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 put it out of your mind. The world needs witnesses. The world needs people that can hear someone else say, Jesus changed my life. You know, I think about when I was seven years old, laying in my bed, and there was that moment where Jesus met me. You know, my testimony, you know, a lot of times people think, I, I have got to have this amazing testimony of, of, of I've got to be this super rebellious person and God saved me. No, no, I was a seven-year-old boy laying in my bed where the Holy Spirit came to me in that moment. And all the stories I had heard in Sunday school all of a sudden finally made sense to me. And I understood that I was a sinner. And I understood for the first time that I needed Jesus. And I understood for the first time that God loved me. And he loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for me. And throughout my life, as I have walked this journey of faith when I was 10, and I was struggling with apathy and doubt as a young person in church, God met me at Skyview Ranch Camp. And when I was a teenager trying to figure out my own way in life, God met me at camp and to tell me, hey, it's time to be serious about your faith. Take ownership of your faith. And God met me when I was 16 years old and he called me into full-time Christian ministry. I'm sharing you with these stories because the reason I'm up here today, the reason I'm talking about this today, I'll be honest with you, I'm not here today because I'm the pastor of Life Fellowship Church. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm up here today because I have experienced 
the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have been changed by Jesus. And I'm, I will never be the same. And so I know when I go to tell someone about the, the truth of Jesus Christ, I'm telling something of a story that, that he has been writing in my life for the last 40 years. It's not, I don't have to convince them. I just have to tell them. And I have to trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest of the work. But here's what I'm, t- the world needs people that will tell people that are not in this room today that there is a risen Savior who loves them and that they can, they, everything that they've looked for in life is found in Jesus Christ. Will you be that witness? Because every time you're that kind of witness and someone else believes in the Spirit of God works in their hearts, it's another opportunity to make history, another opportunity for a life transformation. And God still is doing that work 2,000 years later. Amen? Amen. Three questions and then we're done. Number one, what are the doubts and fears that are keeping you from trusting Jesus? What are the doubts and the fears that are keeping you from trusting Jesus? What are those? Are are you ignoring them? Are you kind of burying them? No, what I would encourage you is talk about them. I invite you to shine light on those doubts and fears. And I would invite you to even talk to someone about them. You don't stay stuck. You don't say like, yeah, I just don't know what to do with all this stuff. Jesus is inviting you today. He's, he's gonna meet you in your fears and doubts and he's inviting you today to take that, just that next step towards him to talk to someone. Will you do that this morning? Number two, who and what are you living for? Who and what are you living for? What's the equation you have in your life? What are the pieces that you have said, I've, I, I'm doing this and I'm doing that because I'm seeking this kind of fulfillment in my life. If you are trying to add up the dimensions of your own purpose, coming up with your own ideas of what's going to bring meaning and purpose to your life, let me just tell you something. You will, it will always equal something that doesn't work out. There's something in our hearts. We need Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come to me and I will give you the answers you're looking for. Come to me and I will give you forgiveness. I will rescue you from your pain. I will bring the healing to your life that your soul needs. I am the only one that can love you for the love you're looking for, to give you the hope that your soul is looking for. It's found in me. So what is that you're living for today? And then lastly, the last word is this. Will you be a witness for Jesus today? Will you witness? Will you go out there and testify, I have experienced Jesus. And let me tell you who he is. And let me tell you what he's done. And see the power of God. See what God will do with this you and I being faithful to being witnesses.